uh, let me add my welcome. My name is Paul Rees, and uh, it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at Child Chapel. Um, this is uh, a mini-series that we are working through at the moment called What on Earth Am I Here For? And I want to just do a little plug uh, for a book with the, that title. In fact, I nicked the title from Rick Warren's book, What on Earth Am I Here For? Uh, I, I've really enjoyed reading through this and uh, there's a sort of little reading for every day, 40 days of just going back to basics and thinking about what on earth are we here for. And uh, so I just want to acknowledge that being as I'm uh, leaning on it in these, uh, in these talks. Uh, will you join with me in prayer if you want God to come and speak to you? Let's pray. Father, we bless you that Jesus Christ did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we thank you that as he had authority on earth to forgive sins, he continues to have that same authority. That he came into this world to save his people from their sins. We thank you that he is the Lamb of God who by the sacrifice of himself takes away the sins of the world. And we thank you that to his great honor, not to his shame, he is the friend of uh, of people who were considered scandalous in his day, prostitutes and abusive drunkards. And we thank you for his gracious invitation to, to those who are weary and heavy laden to come to him for rest. We rejoice in this glorious offer that any who are thirsty may come to him and drink until they are fully satisfied. And so, Father, as we come uh, to your words, we ask that you would teach us more what it is to become like Jesus, as those who've put our trust in him. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Well, I would like you to open your Bibles to Second Peter, uh, chapter 1. You'll find that on page 1,222. If you have a church Bible, page 1,222, we're going to end up here, but I want to start up by reading this part of God's Word. I'm going to read from verse 3 to verse 11. As I read it, I want you to ask this question as we read through the text. What does this text teach us about how we can make progress in our Christian lives? What does this passage teach us about how we can make progress in our Christian lives? So let's uh, read this section. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, this is God's words. Over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about this question, what on earth are we here for? What's it all about? And of course, uh, if you believe that uh, this is just a chaotic chance universe of matter that suddenly sprang out of completely nothing and we're all here by uh, some colossal mistake, then it's a daft question to look for any meaning in life, isn't it? Because any meaning you come up with is a fantasy reason. It's your own illusory answer to what we're here for because there's no reason whatsoever. Now, as I say, I find it very, very odd to think that this whole beautiful, stunning universe sprung out of nothing for no reason whatsoever. I think that requires just a leap of faith that's too far and too too incredible for myself. And thankfully, we don't really have to be stuck in that... Uh, mythic place of creating our own meaning because actually we've discovered that God created this universe and that God created us and that there is a meaning and purpose behind life and God has revealed himself to us by coming through the man Jesus of Nazareth and he's given us his instruction manual, uh, the Bible and so we've been thinking over the last few weeks what the Bible has to say are the reasons for which we exist the reasons that we are here So I want to do a quick recap. Firstly, we saw that we were planned for God's pleasure. That we're actually here to worship, love, and um, honor this God who made us. That uh, life is not actually about you. Uh, That if you think that actually life is all about everything should revolve around ourselves, that's narcissism. It's a bit... Sickly, it's going to hurt you, it's going to hurt everyone else around you if, you, if that's what you think the life is all about revolving around you. In fact, no, life is all about God for he made us uh, and we are made for him. So uh, you can see 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do you see the motive for, the, for what you do? Whatever you do kind of covers pretty much everything of life, doesn't it? Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. We have to live for the praise and delight of the God who made us. Uh, Mark 12, verse 30, Jesus uh, underlines that the great commandment in the Bible is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He made you, he made everything about you, and he deserves to be loved with all of yourself. That's, that's what the Bible says. So th- this is the first great reason why we're here. We're here to glorify God, to love him. You were actually here, not so much for your pleasure, but you were planned for his pleasure. That's what the Bible says. Second reason, you were formed for God's family. See, at the heart of a universe is one God who exists in loving 
relationship of the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's a profound thing about life. At the heart of the universe is love and community. God in himself. And this God, when he made us, he made us to be people who are wired for love and community. If you cut off a human being from love and community, you find a shriveled person, a hurting person. Because we were designed for love and community, because that's the nature of the God who made us. And he has this wonderful plan where he actually formed us to be part of his family. And so we looked at last week from Ephesians chapter 1. It says this, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, again, to the praise of his glorious grace. It's all about his glory. And, and, that, and we saw that last week that that verse basically means he's got this amazing plan where he uh, wants to bring us into his family through adoption. And this is something that just gives him great pleasure and delight. God loves to gather people into his family. And, and it comes out of his great love. 1 John chapter 3, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Now we saw that that's not automatic. Uh, that actually um, we're all part of his creation, but we don't automatically one of his children, that we need to come and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to become part of his family. Now I want to consider today the third aspect of this, that uh, we, uh, for why we're here. And that is this, that we were created to become like Jesus Christ. We were created to become like Christ. Now, I want to do three things this morning. We're going to be jumping all over the Bible, so I want to give you a little shape of what we're trying to do here. I want us to see from the Bible that this is the case, that you were created to become like Christ. I want to show you that from the Bible. I want to show you how absolutely brilliant it is that this is his plan. I want you to see how awesome it is that this is his strategy. And I want to thirdly see... The, uh, the process by which this comes about. How is it that we become like Christ? That's when I show you from the Bible that it's so that we were created to become like Christ. I want to show you how brilliant it is, and I want to show you how it works in practice. That's where we're going. So let's think from the Bible. Is this really in the Bible that you were created to become like Christ? Well, it is. So let's have a look. From the very start, it has been God's plan that we would be like his son Jesus. The Bible tells us over and over that actually this is our destiny. Uh, all these movies talk about your destiny. Come look, this is your destiny. Well actually, this is your destiny to become like Christ. It was from the very beginning that way. Turn to the beginning of your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. You'll find it on page 4 of the church Bibles. Genesis Chapter 1, verse 26. Find it on page 4. Left-hand left column there. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created 
them. What makes human beings special and unique? Well, because he made us in his image. To be made in the image of God is a privilege and gives us great dignity. Now, I don't think we fully know all that this means, but here are some aspects of what it means. It means that we are spiritual beings, that we are people who will outlive our physical bodies. We are intellectual beings. We can think, we can reason, we can solve problems. We're relational. We can give and receive love. We are moral. We can discern right from wrong, which, which makes us accountable to God. And every human being has been made in the image of God, which is why racism is wrong. And why every human being should be treated with equality and respect. Or oh, call them back later. Do you want to switch that off? That's great. Um, you can tell them later. I was learning at the time that we were all made with respect. Even you when you call me in church. There we are. That's fine. So every human being is made with that equality and respect, right? But because we are made in the image of God, we... You know, we should see that every human life is precious. And so we should care and nurture all of human life. Whether that's a baby in a mother's womb, or whether that's an old disabled person in a, in a caring home. Because we're made in the image of God, we should show love and respect and nurture life. But the Bible also says that um, this image is incomplete and it's damaged because of our sin. That actually our, our first parents, and ever since, that we have sort of ignored God, rebelled against God, turned away from God, and our natures have become distorted by sin. And so we see a pretty messed up world. We see people who can be stunningly brilliant do truly horrendous and awful things because this image is distorted by sin. We no longer reflect the glory of God as we were designed to. And here's the good news. The great news that we were singing about earlier is that God has done something about us. He's not just uh, left us to stew in our rebellion and the awfulness of that. He sent his son, Jesus. We've been singing about it almost in every song today. And Jesus came to be the one who would uh, pay the price for our sin. And restore us back into relationship with God. You see, what does the image of God look like? Well, the image of God looks like Jesus Christ. The Bible says that um, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Next slide, please. There. And the exact representation of his being. Or Hebrews chapter 1 verse, uh, or Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. Or John 1.18. No one has ever seen God but the, own, the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made himself, has made him known. And so the thing is, as we look at the historical account uh, and the gospel accounts of the life of Jesus and we look at his life, um, and see him uh, dealing with other people as we see him living out his human life in every way like us, except for this major difference that he does it without sin. 
as we see him living without lust and without envy and without boasting, without coveting, without um, uh, any malice, as we see him living in faithfulness, in love, in truth, with integrity, with love and compassion and mercy and holiness and courage, and with self-sacrifice, as we see him living that way, we are seeing not only the character of God, we are actually also seeing what we as human beings were created to be like. And amazingly, what every Christian will one day look like. So let me show you that because I think this is the utterly brilliant and exciting thing about this third purpose of life that we were created to be like Christ is that this is God's plan. This is what he's going to accomplish. For those who've put their faith in Jesus Christ to forgive their sins, and uh, we discover from the Bible that God has a plan to make us like Jesus. Now look at these verses from Romans chapter 8. They're amazing verses. The Apostle Paul says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? What's God's purpose? Well, here it is. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Do you see, he's got this plan to make us into the likeness of Jesus. Now that is utterly brilliant. Because deep down, each one of us longs for glory. It's true. Deep down, we long to be glorious. I mean, just uh, for instance, uh, I'm not going to dwell on the rugby today, but, you know, <laughs> over these weeks, and you'll see it as we read account after account, this language of uh, who is destined for rugby glory. You know, it's language, language of glory and, and who's, who is, who's going to get the cup? Who's going to get the trophy? Who's going to win uh, rugby's greatest prize? Who will be the best? Who will be the most glorious? Who's going to shine? And deep down, as we read those accounts, as Pavlis goes, oh, I want to shine. I want to, do you want to shine? I want to shine. But it's not going to come for me for rugby. I was walking down the street. I was avoiding something unpleasant on the pavement. I swerved slightly, and my back was out. I went home in pain like this. I think one of these players knocks me down. I'm in hospital for a lifetime, I think. It's not going to happen for me for rugby, and that's just as well. Do you know, the thing is that what holds us back from being glorious when we think about it is really what's going on inside of our hearts and our lives. Our sins, our addictions, our selfishness, our, our twisted nature are, are what robs us of the inherent glory that God intended for us as his image bearers. Just think for a moment, what, what is it that causes problems and stresses and difficulties in your relationships with other people? What is it that causes the problem? Is it them that's the problem? Is it all these other people that are a problem? Or is it that you're the problem? Your selfishness, your impatience, your lack of kindness, your envy, your jealousy. 
Well, here's the amazing promise for those who hope uh, in Jesus Christ. God has a plan to make us like Jesus. That's what this verse tells us. We are destined for glory. That's brilliant, isn't it? That's what Romans 8 is saying. We're destined for glory. Those he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, he called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. In fact, Paul uses past tenses because it's so certain it's going to happen. That's how brilliant it is. Just as you read the life of Jesus with this uh, lens upon it, this is utterly thrilling. Because every time you see Jesus being truthful, Jesus showing integrity, Jesus showing love, you can say to myself, this is what God's got planned for me. This is where he's taking me. This is what he's making me to be like. As you see Jesus who was blameless and faultless, the scripture says, you know, one day you're going to be blameless and faultless. As Jesus delighted the Father in his obedient life, this is where God's plan of salvation is taking us. As Jesus is perfect and perfectly displays the glory of God, well, we too will be perfect, will perfectly display the glory of God and reflect it. Uh, 1 John chapter 3 says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, if you've ever got the point in your Christian life and you're just feeling so depressed because you see habitual sins and problems in your life, you keep getting stuck in your relationships, let me encourage you with this brilliance. God's got a plan. He's destining you for glory. You will be like him. He wants to straighten out that crookedness in us that causes us all these problems. He's on a plan. We're destined for glory. Now, thirdly, what's the process? How does this come about? Well, in summary, I want to say God's Spirit uses God's Word and God's people and life's difficulties to grow us in Christ-likeness. That's what the Bible says, if I'm going to summarize it. God's Spirit plus God's Word plus God's people in life's difficulties are the means that he uses to grow us in Christ-likeness. I think this is uh, so helpful to realize that this is what life is about. See, God's ultimate goal in our life is not for, um, for our happiness. It is for our holiness. God's plan for our life is not for our comfort but for our character to become more Christ-like and it's so helpful to realize that because if you don't realize that you'll, you'll just see all the difficulties and struggles in your life you think oh no why is this happening to me again but when you get this you know what it's about you're not shocked or surprised anybody can grow old, right? You just, just get up every day and you get older. He wants something so much more than you growing old. He wants you to grow up into Christ-likeness. Grow up in Christian maturity. Now, 
Growing to be like Christ doesn't mean losing our personality. It's not like he's trying to make us all into clones. God has created us all with uniqueness and he's, he's not in the business of wanting to destroy that. Christ's likeness is all about transforming our character and not our personality. See, God wants us to develop the kind of character that's described in the Beatitudes of Jesus. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. He wants to develop in us the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, it says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God wants us to develop to be more loving because he is love. And you've got that wonderful section in 1 Corinthians 13. This is what he wants us to develop. Love is patient, it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. I don't know what percentage of the uh, songs that are in the charts really sing about love like this. They don't really. They don't get it. They don't understand what love is. This is what love is. And this is actually... What becoming Christ-like is about. Developing the character that is like this. This is where God is taking us. And every time we forget that character is one of his main purposes for our lives, we'll become frustrated with our circumstances and we'll think to ourselves, what is, what, why is this happening to me? One answer is this. Life is supposed to be difficult. It is what enables us to grow. This is such a mind shift for us, isn't it? We're in a culture that loves comfort, that wants to avoid all the hassles of life. If you want to do that, move to America. They've tried their best. You can have drive-in everything in America, drive-in banks, drive-in everything. You don't have to leave your car. But you know, life, even in America, is not great. No, life is full of hardships and difficulties, and God uses these very things to grow us in Christ-likeness. So um, this is a repeated frame uh, of Scripture. God uses sufferings and trials and even temptations to fulfill this purpose of making us like Jesus. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. Why am I going through this trial? Well, don't be surprised, he says. It's not as if something strange was happening to you. Or James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. How can you, how can you have joy when you have trials? Well, because you know that the testing of your faith, which is what these trials are about, develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God uses circumstances and problems to draw us close to him. When life is going great, I'm tempted to try and coast it on my own. 
When life is tough, I tell you what, I find prayer very easy. Psalm 34 verse 18 says this, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're working through the McShane Bible reading plan, then you'll have been reading through 2 Corinthians recently. And the the opening chapter has this amazing statement. Uh, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, Paul says to the church in Corinth. We don't want you to be uninformed about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So you see, our difficulties are the arena for growing us like Christ. God's Spirit uses God's Word and God's people in those difficulties of life to enable us to grow like Jesus. So let's think about God's Spirit. God's at work in our lives by His Spirit. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ... He gives us his Holy Spirit. And it's the work of God's Spirit to produce this Christ-likeness in us. The Christian life is not about willpower. It's about the Spirit's power. So Romans 8 verse 11, uh, it says this, And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit who's at work in our lives. And he's at work to change our desires and to empower us to obey God's words bit by bit so we can become like Jesus. And so um, I think Liam quoted this earlier, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. If you want a fancy word, the Bible calls this sanctification. Sanctification is this process by which we become more and more like Jesus. But it's vital for us to realize that this only happens when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit's work. Over and over in the Bible, we see that actually God releases his power at the moments that we take that step of faith. That's why I asked Liam to read that passage from Joshua. See, when Joshua was faced with the barrier of the Jordan River, uh, with the flood waters rushing down, what does God tell him? He says, get the leaders to step into the water, and then I'm going to make a way through. Well, we'd like to kind of see it all dried up first before we cross, wouldn't we? But he says, no, you start heading into the water. And over and over we see this in Scripture. God empowers our steps of faith. If, you, if you're sitting around waiting for some moment where you kind of get some souped up Mario boost or something, where you just sort of go, so that was a, that was a computer game thing, it means nothing to most of you. <laughs> but uh, where you just get this moment where I go, hmm, oh yeah, I'm ready to do whatever. It, does, it doesn't happen like that. You don't get a whooshy feeling. Actually, you go through the Christian life feeling weak and powerless and incapable. And that this is beyond us. And God says, as you step out in faith, you know, you remember that first step of of the leaders putting their feet in the river Jordan? That's when God's power is activated. Don't wait for the whooshy feeling. 
you step forward in faith. And we sang that, didn't we? We, we live by faith and not by sight. Sight says it's all sorted out. There's not a problem. Faith says, it, I don't know how this is going to work. I feel totally unable to do this and I'm going to step forward into it. And you know, you find that God will empower you as you step forward in faith. Philippians 2 verse 12 to 13 says this, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. Do you see this? As you work out your salvation and you manage to keep going, guess how you manage to keep going? Because God's at work in you, both to give you the desire to do it and to empower your actions in that way. It's so crucial to understand this in the Christian life. While effort has nothing to do with our salvation, it has much to do with our spiritual growth. At least eight times in the, in the New Testament, we're told to make every effort. Make every effort. And we considered uh, some of it in 2 Peter. So why don't you turn back to there, uh, page 1222, 2 Peter. Uh, in this section, actually, it speaks about the possibility that uh, you can be a Christian who gets stuck and that you can live an ineffective and unproductive life. You can know things about God, know about the gospel, but live an ineffective and unproductive life, it says in verse 8. And so he stresses, make every Effort. How is it that the Christian can make progress in their life? Well, uh, verse 3, his divine power is at work in our lives. And actually, verse 3 says he's given us all that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. He's given us his words, God's spirit, working through God's word. And look at God's word there in verse 4. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. He's given us these wonderful promises for us to trust. That we trust God as we trust these great and precious promises. Empowered by his spirit, we trust these promises and we make every effort as we have the divine power the divine promise we put our effort into making progress verse 4 verse 5 for this very reason make every effort because you've got all you need make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance perseverance godliness godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness Love. It is God's Spirit plus God's Word providing the power to change. It's life's difficulties that supply the context for our change, and it's God's people that God uses to support us, to help us to change. Which is why growth groups are so important. It's fantastic that over 300 people have signed up. I know other people are involved with the young adults. Uh, Bible studies and others involved in the international fellowship and others go to time out uh, and I would say to you if you're not part of a small group Bible study you are so missing out on one of the means that God wants to use to help you grow we need each other to help each other 
remember the promises of God. And to lovingly support us and encourage us and pray with us that in the difficulties of our lives, that we will begin to make different choices to grow to be like Christ. I have seen angry people grow to become self-controlled and loving and joyful in circumstances that would have previously made them volcanoes. Volcanoes that scared other people and scarred other people. And I've seen them change. And it's been God's spirit using God's word and God's people to enable them to extend effort in life's difficulties to choose to respond differently in that moment of heat and temptation. Let's think about the subject of anxiety. I don't know whether there's any anxious people here. I know there's loads of anxious people. Anxiety is one of the things we all wrestle with. Many experience anxiety. Sometimes it can be absolutely paralyzing for people. You know what? God wants you to be like Christ. Look at the life of Jesus. Do you ever see Jesus paralyzed with anxiety? It's amazing. Actually, there's one moment where there's this furious storm and he's asleep in the back of the boat. It tells you, number one, he was exhausted, but also tells you that he had this profound trust in God the Father. And he wants us to not be anxious. Uh, A friend was sharing um, how she was very plagued with anxiety. And uh, a friend gave her this verse. And it comes from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And when she uh, was uh, in a time of months in life where she was feeling so anxious, it was affecting all of her life. This is the verse that someone gave her, and she kept meditating on it. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. One of the great things about Edinburgh is that there's sort of seven hills. Isn't that right? Or is it more? Seven hills. Extinct volcanoes or something like that, isn't it? And so there's a great thing about Edinburgh. Wherever you are, you can normally see a hill. And when she was feeling anxious, she would look at the hill and she'd think, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord's the maker of heaven and earth. And even though she was anxious, she would say, well, I believe that. And I'm going to keep stepping forward today in my life. I'm going to keep moving forwards. And as she kept meditating and keep choosing that way, instead of being paralyzed into, into, into doing nothing, but stepping forward in faith, trusting that promise, she could look at the hills and she would begin to rejoice. The Lord, the maker of the heaven and earth, he's the one who's going to help me. He's going to help me to press forwards. The the second part of our logo there is to grow in Christ-likeness. It is one of the major themes of God's word. And I I want to uh, encourage you, if you're not a Christian, that actually... 
if you come to put your faith in Christ, he will give you his spirit. He'll forgive all the sins of the past. He's, he's gone to great lengths to make this possible by sending his son to die for you. And he will give you power to begin to change your life, to make different choices. And my Christian friends, I want to say to you and remind you that this is not automatic. It is possible to just stall and live an unproductive Christian life. It's easy to grow old. It takes effort to grow up into Christ-like maturity. And he's given you his spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you his people. If you'll avail yourself of that opportunity by getting stuck into a growth group or another study group in that way. Because the truth is, hard circumstances are coming. It's a given, isn't it? And he wants to use these very circumstances to be the arena by which you will become more like Jesus. Which is what you are destined for. Because you are destined for glory. Let's pray, shall we?